to another edition of the Fat Tailing Investment Podcast. We've got a returning guest today, and it's my friend and colleague, Greg Canavan, um, who came on, oh, I can't remember now, it might have even been last year. But I do know at the time he was talking about the opportunity in coal stocks, which has been a very prescient call in hindsight. Uh, it's been the best sector to be in over the last six months. And we saw Whitehaven Coal come out with their uh, latest accounts yesterday, and they are absolutely minting cash. And I think the share price is up at least 300, possibly 400% in the last, uh, definitely in the last 12 months. Anyway, so we'll touch base with Greg about that. But more importantly, uh, Greg also has, well, previous earlier in the year was previous, uh, was warning his subscribers that the ASX and global markets were likely to go into uh, what's known as a bear market or a downturn, and they have done so. So he has put together a report called the Bear Market Survival Guide where he outlines where the market has gone, where he thinks it's going, and some of the opportunities that are going to come from this. Because obviously, lower values uh, give you a look at some great companies at really cheap prices. So, great. Thanks for coming on. No worries, Carl. Good to be back again, mate. I, it's not <laughs> often that I get this invite, so uh, very happy to be here, mate. Yeah, you're joining a, an exclusive group of people that have been on twice now. So, uh, But deservedly so, because just uh, when did you start recommending the coal sector i can't remember exactly when it was but you were onto that very early in, in hindsight well i remember that clearly not because it's turned out to be such a good trade but because initially it was it was a it was a pretty pretty poor trade i i think i recommended whitehaven in about march 2021 uh and literally about two weeks after i recommended it uh, they hit a a dike uh, in their in their long wall at the Narrabri mine in New South Wales, which meant their share price fell about 20-30% uh, in a in a matter of a week or so. So I was sort of um, you know, coal was still on the nose at that point. It wasn't popular. Um, you know, it had run into some operational issues. And I was thinking, oh, here we go. I've I've tipped tipped something in the early stages, thinking that, you know, coal, it can't get much worse for coal. And now this company's just uh, hit some operational issues. So I remember that quite well because I was having a beer with a mate and I, I live in Wollongong and, and um, just behind me here in Wollongong, there's a whole massive amount of coal seams and, and they've done and they've had coal mining um, going on here for, for a long time. And one of my mates works at the coal mine and I was asking him about these dike issues and whether they have them and, and how long that they persist for. So that was April 2021. Um and look, I you know after reading through the material, I just thought, well, look, this is a shorter term issue. The 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 idea behind the coal story is is a longer term recovery as global markets recover from COVID, um, and also it it played a lot to this you know ESG theme. And you know when I say ESG, I'm talking about the environmental, social, and governance type of restraints that are affecting so many industries these days, but more so they're affecting capital investment into new forms of energy. And when I say new forms of energy, expansion of old forms of energy, fossil fuels, and no one was investing yep. in coal. Coal was very much on the nose. And I thought, well, it can't really get much worse. So the probability is that things will get better. Uh, and as you said, the share price is up nearly 300% uh, since that time. We've taken profits on the way, um, which is always a good thing to do. Um, but you know, there's not a lot of reason to get out at this point. The coal price, like every other commodity in this bear market, has been 
affected quite quite heavily. Oil has has started to come yep. off as well, uh, but coal remains uh, very much in demand, and I think that has a lot to do with the restriction of supply, the restriction of capital investment in new supply, and the industry just can't really respond to to higher prices in 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 a, in a uh, speedy fashion. So companies like Whitehaven that are producing good quality coal that aren't reliant on sending coal to China, they send um, most of their coal to Korea and Japan, they're going to be making a lot of money in this environment. So um, yeah, it's looking good. <laughs> I should say though, we're talking about bear markets is that this high coal price, which has been great for Whitehaven, has been a disaster for a lot of the other stocks because it's part of the inflation that's uh, brought down so many stocks. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, well, look, another... Um, stock in the portfolio that we had um, also recommended, um, I think earlier than Whitehaven, I probably recommended it in uh, earlier in 2021, I think, um, Origin Energy. Um, that had done very well because it's got an ownership in one of the big LNG plants in Gladstone. So exports a huge amount of uh, LNG. Um, so the, the stock was doing very well because of that, but it also owns a power plant in New South Wales. And the contract that it had with the coal supplier to supply that coal, um, the, the coal supplier ran into operational issues as well, which means they couldn't send as much coal as they originally contracted, which meant Origin had to go into the market and buy uh, coal on the spot market, which means they had to pay the current very high prices to feed their feed their power uh, station, which um, you know they can't immediately pass that on. They've got obviously contracted or regulated prices. They've got a, um, to to sell at retail, uh, so that's that's really affected them. So um, and that's just one example. I'm sure that you know there's a huge amount of uh, energy supplies that are under pressure across the country uh, because of the the surge in in coal prices. Well, let's talk bear market. So I remember my brother said once, why do they call it bull and bear market? So for anyone listening, what is a bear market? Well, there's probably a couple of different ways you can define a bear market. And I think the the consensus or the traditional view is that if a stock or more importantly, a stock market falls more than 20% from its high, it's traditionally considered to be in a bear market. So if, if you get a correction of say 10 or 15%, it's considered to be a, a market in correction mode. If it falls more than 20%, then you can say you're officially in a bear market. I would probably classify it a little bit differently. Um, if you know, a lot of people might know that I do look at charts quite a lot. So if you get a charting pattern that shows a trend down where you've got lower highs, and then lower lows forming on that chart um, in in a in a in a downward trend that can often represent a bear market. And there's also just things like sentiment and the way that you read about the responses to 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 share price action. So in a bull market, things are always positive. It's buy the dip. Um, you know, as soon as the market pulls back a little bit, you've got a whole bunch of cheerleaders coming in saying, "Look, it's just a pullback. It's time to buy." <laughs> In a bear market, the mood shifts completely. There's a different um, way of viewing companies. There's a different ways of viewing valuations on companies. And you're seeing that across. And, and when, when we talk about bear markets, we're really talking about the US market here because it leads, it leads the world. And the Aussie market probably isn't really in a bear market if you look at the traditional um, uh, interpretation of it. Like, I don't think it's down, the ASX 200 isn't off 20% from its highs. It's probably down around 15%. Um, 
But uh, hang on, I'm going to jump in there because I was going to bring this up and say that officially they say, oh, it's 20% from the high for the index. Yep. But you and I know that there are a lot of stocks that have already fallen 20% and more so than that. So it's the big, it's been the big stocks that have propped up the ASX. Absolutely. So that's why I, I, obviously you have to, the market goes, oh, it's down 20%. It's a bear market. But realistically, the Aussie market has been in a bear market, I think, for some time outside the top 50. Is that fair to say from your view? Yeah, look, if you look under the hood, there's a huge amount of stocks that have been absolutely, you know, knocked around. And, and I'm talking good quality stocks that are down um, from top to bottom. And when I say bottom, the market um, had a bit of a panic low in June this year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these really good quality stocks had fallen 50%. And that, when you think about that, that's really how a bear market unfolds. And, and these stocks that had fallen 50% had been your former high flyers, the, the growth stocks that the market was prepared to pay a very high price for. Um, whereas now in a bull market, investors tend to take that really long-term view and they'll buy something with the view that in five or 10 years time, the earnings going to be a lot higher. And that's what justifies people paying higher prices for growth stocks. But in a bear market, the the view of the investment community shrinks right down to six or 12 months. So they're not, and, and they see that these growth stocks aren't going to deliver on their on their promises or or on the, the expectation that investors might have had in the short term. So investors completely rethink about the way that they want to value these companies. And this is where the opportunities come from because a growth stock will go from being overvalued and something that you really won't want to touch to something that for the first time in a long time, and these are opportunities that generally only bear markets throw up, is that they're actually quite quite attractive. And if you're willing to look past a six-month sort of um, period where their earnings growth might not be all that um, strong, then you probably get an opportunity to buy some really good stocks at a, at a really cheap price. So underneath the surface, you're right, there's been a lot of damage, uh, but because the the Aussie market is dominated by your big four banks, uh, the the big iron ore miners. Um, it has held up, but now you're seeing with the the Reserve Bank um, looking to raise interest rates quite aggressively. The banks got hit uh, in June; they fell quite sharply. Um, and look, China's there's a whole bunch of problems in China. Notwithstanding, you know, not not even really talking about the re- the response to COVID and and the way that they're trying to contain COVID. We're talking about demographic issues. We're talking about the property sector over there, which was in trouble, um, has been in trouble for some time. That's going to have an impact on iron ore prices. Iron ore prices are falling mm-hmm. considerably. So I think you know, in in the context of what we're talking about, this bear market, there's still quite a lot to play out here. It's not you know, it's not over yet. So from your perspective, um, the old saying is they don't ring a bell at the top and they certainly don't, So we're, but they don't ring a bell at the bottom either. Um, from your view, the market has rallied since that big panic low in June. Are we coming out of the bear market or are we still in the thick of it? What, what are you thinking? Look, the first thing I'd say is that no one knows when, when the top is and no one, no one knows when the low is, but what you can operate on is probabilities. And I always like to say that, you know, we're not dealing in certainties, we're dealing in probabilities. So back at the end of last year, the probability was the Fed had already started to signal that it was going to be tightening uh, interest rates. The market was extraordinary, especially in the US and the NASDAQ, the market was extraordinarily expensive for an environment where you're moving into interest rate rises. So 
the probability suggested that we're you know we're, we're at a bit of a, a top here now i never made any predictions as to how big the bear market would be i just you know i just didn't think that was um worth going into because it's really a, a fool's game you know you just you've got to see how things play out and see what central banks do because they are such a big influence on the market. So now we're at a point where, yes, the bear market um, in terms of the US market, I think uh, stocks peaked in early January. I think the NASDAQ itself peaked in in uh, November. The S&P 500 peaked in, in January. So the, the bear market's been going on for six to eight to nine months, depending on your um depending on your viewpoint there. The Aussie market peaked in August last year. It tried to beat that in December, peaked around the same time and has fallen since then. So really we're coming up to 12 months of, of um, since the Aussie market's peak. So the way I look at it is um, really based on uh, central bank um, central bank forecasts, central bank um, communications, and really what they're doing is trying to raise interest rates enough to stop inflation or, or to get inflation back down to where they think it should be, which is probably somewhere around the 2% level. Now, the last couple of inflation readings in the US have been off the charts, the biggest in 30 or 40 years. And I think the last reading was over 9%. But the interesting thing is that when that interest rate, oh, sorry, when that inflation number came out, the bond market or the yield actually fell now, most people would expect, oh, 9% inflation, why would you own bonds? That's, you know, bonds surely should sell off and yields should rise. The fact that they went down tells me that the market is now starting to look beyond this inflation surge, which we've had, and they're starting to price in a bit of a slowdown. Now, the other bond market indicator that's really important on this front is what's known as the yield curve. And a traditional, and it's not the be all and end all of things, but a traditional uh, bond market indicator that you can look at is the two-year yield versus the 10-year yield. And in the US at the moment, and we're recording this on uh, Wednesday, the 20th of July, in the US, the two-year bond yield is about 3.25%, whereas the 10-year bond yield is just over 3%. Now, that's a highly unusual um, structure for an interest rate market. Normally, longer-term bond yield should be up here and shorter-term bond yield should be here, so the curve should be sloping like that. At the moment, it's it's inverted. It's the other way, way around. What that's saying is that the bond market is predicting the Fed to cause a big slowdown, um, potentially even a recession, and in my view, the equity market hasn't priced that in yet. So when you when you look at where the Fed is going, and the Fed is predicted to raise interest rates by 75 basis points at the end of this month, um, then they don't meet again in August, and then they meet again in September. I think it's about September the 20th. And there's there's priced in for another 50 to 75 basis points in September. Also in September, you're getting an increase in quantitative tightening. So the quantitative tightening levels are going to go from 45 billion to 90 billion on the 1st of September. So what's quantitative tightening? Essentially, it just means a shrinkage of the Fed's balance sheet. So when they're trying to expand and stimulate the economy, and when I say the economy, it's really asset markets, they're expanding their balance sheet. And that that money doesn't go into the real economy. It just effectively it helps the liquidity, helps confidence in order to push push asset prices up. So when they're shrinking their balance sheet, that's a constraint on financial market liquidity. So the way I look at it from a bear market perspective and when do we get to the bottom 
you have to get to a point where the Fed says, I'm done raising rates, I'm done tightening liquidity. I wrote an article for subscribers back in May saying that my best guess, and I said it with, um, uh, I think I wrote quite a few um, verses from the Bible actually about humility saying, look, <laughs> I don't really know this stuff, but um, with, with humility, I would say that we're looking around September for a change of attitude from the Fed is when they will start to say, maybe we've tightened enough. Maybe we have caused a, a recession or a deep enough slowdown that inflation isn't going to be as big a worry as we thought it would be. And maybe we'll just sit back and, and do nothing. So from my perspective, that is almost the prerequisite of what you should be looking for to see the end of a, end of a bear market. And I'm not saying that you know a Fed sitting back doing nothing means all of a sudden stocks are going to go back up, but it is the first step in um, the bear market coming to a close. So I'm looking around the September level to see the Fed with a change of uh, communication, um, you know, a change of policy, uh, and, and we'll see where things go from there. But you've also got earnings issues, which are still going to flow through from this slowdown that I just talked about, the bond market's predicting. Mm. And currently you've got 2023 earnings in the US predicted to rise 8.3%. Now, if the US goes into a um, a, a sharp slowdown or a recession, I would say the probability of getting 8.3% earnings growth is very, very slim. And that's where I think potentially when the market realizes that you get a, you get a next leg down in equity prices. Actually, just <coughs> hearing that last bit makes me think I was chatting to a friend of mine at the pool the other day from my, watching my daughter or his daughter's there as well. He's a supplier to Bunnings and his business had priced in 10% growth so they've done lots of ordering and all that type of thing and apparently one of the bunnings executives came up and they've been over to europe to scope out things over there and they said europe is in you know big trouble at the moment uh, it's the slowdown there is really bad all tied in the energy issues and inflation and all those type of things so he was a bit rattled by that so it wouldn't surprise me to see um the second phase of that bear market at what you're talking about is that the earnings so the, the previous one was the i'm assuming you agree with this uh the earnings multiple coming down now we've got to see what happens with earnings so that's generally when analysts will start to point people towards defensive type stocks is that where you're looking as well well firstly i think you're exactly right on that point Interest rate rises cause um, valuation multiples to, to contract. And we talked about the way that the market looks at growth stocks before, and that was just another way of saying that valuation multiples are contracting because interest rates are rising. That's the financial sort of market perspective, but rising interest rates and rising energy prices also affect consumption and affect the real economy. And that takes a little bit longer to flow through into uh, company revenues and, and earnings. So that's, you know, I think you're right. That's what we're going to um, see down the track. Can't remember what your other question was. Sorry, what was it? <laughs> so we were talking about uh, analysts in this environment will, will normally point people towards what they consider to be defensive businesses that yeah. can weather an economic, 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 economic slowdown. Is that where you're going to be looking as well? No, I think um, by the time you get the recession and by the time recession headlines are in the newspaper, that's when it's all in the price. And that's when you need to be looking for 
the growth stocks. You need to be looking at the um, the companies that are not defensive, the companies that are going to benefit from the cyclical rebound. So I'll give you a good example. I um I, I put this down for um, made this point to subscribers yesterday. Telstra, which we've had in the portfolio for some time, and really my strategy is about looking for larger cap stocks that are out of favour. And uh, a couple of years ago, Telstra was you know out of favour. It was trading below three bucks. Um, there was you know plenty of issues with the NBN and all that sort of stuff. Um, so recommended in the portfolio. I think it was a little bit over three bucks when it went into the portfolio. And so we've held it for some time. And that's just a stock that you want to be holding in this period, right? It pays a good dividend. Um, the earnings are relatively secure, so you're not going to be in a lot of a lot of um, bother there. Um, it's only down ten percent from its peak. So, from a relative perspective, defensives outperform in the lead up to a recession because the market's already seen what's happening, and and the capital shifts into these opportunities. Whereas some of the stocks that I talked about before, they've fallen fifty percent. Mm. Um, and so from a relative valuation argument, you'd say, well, we've got a, a relatively low growth defensive stock that hasn't really pulled back all that much and isn't particularly good value given the, the bear market that we've just seen versus a growth stock that has an international expansion strategy or operates in the US and has you know a huge amount of growth runway in front of it. What would you prefer to be buying coming out of a recession? I mean, that's that's the sort of argument that that I would make. So, in this bear market survival guide, I give three investment ideas for people to to buy now because they might be thinking, okay, well, how do I how do I um, you know preserve some capital in in this environment? And you know, it's not Telstra, but the, the ideas are around as we go into a slowdown, bond yields will come back down and defensive companies that are trading at attractive yields should should um, get a flow of capital because the relative value of them of those companies becomes a lot more attractive when bond yields start to fall and falling bond yields reflect a, a, an economy going into a recession. So we've started to see that a little bit. Bond yields have peaked in the US, they've peaked in Australia, they've peaked in New Zealand. So longer term bond yields have peaked everywhere. It's the shorter term bond yields that are still moving a little bit higher because central banks are keen on on raising raising yep. those short-term rates. So my argument would be, and, and there's a separate report that um, I've just put out to subscribers, I've given them eight stocks to get ready to buy as this bull market sort of moves through its, its, um, its next few phases. And in most cases, they're growth stocks or, or they're, they're stocks that have been knocked around so much um, that they have considerable upside over the next couple of years because they do have um, growth plans, they reinvest their earnings. They're not paying out all their earnings as as dividends. And if you've got a company, let's say it returns, it's got a return on equity of twenty percent, and it's reinvesting sixty or seventy percent of its earnings back into the growth, and still generating a twenty percent return on those reinvested earnings, that's a really compounding business that you want to own. And in a in a bull market you pay a really high price for those businesses. But in a bear market, the market says, okay, well, we'll give it to you for a fair bit cheaper. And they're the ones that I'm looking at. And I think they're the ones that, um, you know, good investors should be looking to pick up in this, as this bear market plays out. I guess one of the features of bear markets is like, <clears throat> can be very high volatility. And one stock that uh, I've just been watching 
uh, is a, a company called Megaport, which was highly favoured by the uh, industry last year, and it got to $20 a share. This is one of these high-growth stocks. It doesn't make money but had been priced for a very bright future. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> it's at a torrid time um, in, uh, in the last six months, and so it's just selling down, selling down. So by the time we got to the June low, it had gone from $20 to $4. Now, they just came out with their update uh, today, and it's, the stock has rallied 20%. Now, I don't know whether it's going to hold or, or what have you, but it's gone back to eight. So that's kind of what you're talking about, isn't it, where the market drives everything hard down um, because of the, of the overall macro environment, but then there's potential for the companies to come out and go, well, actually, things aren't as bad as you've just priced in, and you, you start seeing that re-ratings. Um, Absolutely. Well, now, I'm not to, recommending Megaport because I don't fully understand it, but that's just an example of where you, you go, this is oversold here. Now the probability is it'll rally back up. Exactly. And it's those <clears throat> tech-type stocks that didn't have earnings in the first place and probably should never have been trading at 20 bucks. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, the, but the market said, okay, well, this looks great. I think the prospects are amazing. In 10 years' time, it's going to be up here, and I'm willing and prepared to pay a price for it now to get that. Six months later, everyone changes their mind and says, "Well, I don't want to pay that price for a company that doesn't own anything." What was I thinking? And then, and then they get out, and then it goes back to a price that is far more uh, reasonable for an investor who says, "Well, okay, well, it doesn't have any earnings, but the chances of it growing earnings over the next five or ten years are still pretty good." And as the update that you mentioned points out, things are still travelling along nicely. Looks a lot better at four or eight bucks than what it did at twenty. So. You know, th those sort of stocks that, have, that um, are building out a business or building out an infrastructure that have yet to earn anything, to me, they're really difficult businesses to value and to, and to get my head around because they are really subject to the whims of investor enthusiasm or pessimism. So you're really, you're really trying to bet on what everyone else thinks, whereas a lot of the companies that, or most of the companies that I write about or recommend and the eight companies that I just put in front of subscribers this week, they all have earnings. They all have been around for some time. They've all got um, uh, well-defined growth pl plans, and you can look at their earnings and get a reasonably good valuation based on those earnings. So it's a lot easier for me to, to uh, analyze those stocks and recommend them rather than your sort of... Uh, Techish company that has a good prospects, but absolutely. Earnings. I mean, I saw Megaport uh, fall to that fall on the day, and I, me I remember sitting there. I was like, I just don't understand it enough, or the opportunity around it to yeah. back it, especially when you've got everything crumbling around you. You don't know it's going to stop it for or whatever. Uh, the good news so is, Cal, I just, I just pass. So, well, I was going to say the good news is eighty percent of the people buying Megaport didn't understand it either. <laughs> <laughs> That's part of why I was pretty old. So I'm just thinking for, for anyone listening, they've been, if you have to presume that they're, they're already in the market. So they've seen their portfolio go down. Um, do you think there's enough earnings in the market that if you just hold on, you collect the dividends, you give it six months, um, that on the other side, the war in Ukraine hopefully will settle down, that kind of thing? That eventually, the market will kind of turn just naturally as it, you know, historically yeah, I mean, marches higher. 
that's how that's how the markets work. And I think um, you know, I suppose what I'm really- saying is you, you're not saying that this is a financial crisis as such, or that there's you know it's exactly just, yeah exactly. And look, I think you know I've made uh, made it quite clear in in a lot of the writings that I've done that I you know I don't think this is a 2008 environment. This is a, a pretty standard bear market in response to tightening interest rates around the world. And it's not just the Fed, it's not just the RBA doing it. Nearly every central bank in the world is tightening monetary policy because in response to COVID, we pretty much told everyone to sit home, do nothing, consume and not produce. So that is going to cause inflation. Like if you don't produce anything and you still consume, you're going to get inflation. So to me, this is, and look, I've copped a, a, a bit of flack from from this view because I, I I think this is this inflation spike that we've seen is short lived. Um, in that, it is mostly a response to um, supply issues and a big demand spike because uh, central banks printed money to fund their governments to give the population money to spend and and sit their way through COVID. So that is going to take a little while to work its way through the system, but it's not, the response is not enough to, to crater financial markets like we did back in 2008. If you think about what 2008 was, it was a, a, um, a breakdown of the financial system in that all the collateral that was underpinning the, the global banks basically failed. Um, and when I say the collateral, the, the banking system was built on uh, property, as you know, um, built on property loans that everyone just said, well, this, these property loans are as good as, as a dollar. And that's where there was securitization, there was slicing and dicing of all these loans that were made. And effectively, what Wall Street did was turn those loans into, into money. So the, the global economy was completely liquid. There was, you know, booming going on everywhere. But then one day, I think it will not one day, but it probably started in around 2007 when some of the issues started popping up in those mortgage um, banks. And I think, you know, Northern Rock was probably the main one where it, where it mm. started it. Everyone went, well, hang on, maybe these loans aren't as good as money and maybe we need to start pulling our heads in. So all this money disappeared. And then the whole financial system started to crumble because the credit just wasn't there. Um, and the US government had to step in and, and try to reliquify the system. Banks these days are a lot more solid than they were back in 2008. Their balance sheets have got a lot more um, US Treasury debt on them rather than property debt. So, yep. you know, for those, for those people that are maybe thinking, oh, you know, is this going to turn into a a 2000, 2008 style crisis, you know, I think that's a very low probability event. And often I've compared this to what, what's happened. I think I put this in the, in the bear market survival guide report is that when you look back in the year 2000, the Aussie market from top to bottom fell, I think it was 23%, the ASX 200. Whereas the NASDAQ, because this was a, a big, um, te- the tech boom and the dot-com boom, the original one back in 99, 2000, the NASDAQ fell 80%. From top to bottom back then, and the S and P five hundred fell around fifty percent. So, from an Aussie investor's perspective, I think we're a lot better placed. A because we didn't go up in two thousand and twenty one anywhere near as much as the S and P five hundred and the uh, the Nasdaq did. And 
I think that we're still well supported by uh, commodities in Australia, and commodities provide an income um, to to the, the nation that will support our property bubble. And I don't think I think everyone thinks, oh, our property market's going to collapse and everything's going to fall to bits. My view is that the property market will correct. Obviously, with interest rates going up, you're going to get a correction in, in prices, and that's really a reflection of how how much the property market boomed uh, in the um, probably 2020, 21. Mm. But when you've got a huge amount of income coming through in terms of the, the commodity sector, and we've got, I think we're the first or the second largest LNG exporter in the world. We export a huge amount of coal. I think coal's probably going to become our largest export earner this year. Iron ore is still um, really strong in terms of volumes, even though the price has come back down. And everyone talks about this green revolution with the, the energy infrastructure over the next 10, 15 years. You need every commodity under the sun to build out a new energy transition system. Um, so we produce lithium, we produce co- cobalt, nickel, copper. All those things are going to be really positive for the, the resources sector over time. At the moment, rising interest rates are affecting uh, commodities, which they always do. That's that's fine. It's a short-term thing, but I think longer-term commodities are going to be really strong. That's going to underpin our economy. It will um, ensure that we can sustain higher higher house prices. Um, so yeah, uh, going back, it's a long way of saying that I don't think this is anywhere near a, a financial calamity. This is a, a, a bear market, which you know we've gone through before. Um, this is how markets work. Nothing to, and we should say, like, <clears throat> we're throwing around bear market and all this type of thing. As you're alluding to with Megapod, a lot of stocks were just way overpriced. It's yeah. just, they just, it was, they got overcooked. Even talking to uh, a previous Warren, like we we're talking about the REITs actually, like it, it got too expensive. Everyone was tr- trying to pile in um, to the same sector. He was referring to industrial there, which is what happens in markets. They they just do that, and then you get a bit of a correction. Now, I think the the news around the the world is is grim, and I think uh, the the Russian situation is uncertain because that could escalate. Do you think? There's a concept, and we talked about this in 2020, where the market has a big low, it rallies, and then it usually goes back to test that low. But it didn't in 2020. It just kept going. Do you think we might see it this time around? I've sort of been waiting for that to happen, but it's not happening. What are your well, thoughts? I remember 20, 2020, and um, I, I think I, I wrote about this it would have been maybe April or, or May, so after the, the market had bottomed. Um, but the market, the S&P 500 or even the ASX 200, fell over 30% in a month. So when you look at the average bear market post-World War II, the average fall in a bear market was 34% if we're talking S&P 500 over a maybe eight or nine-month period. Whereas the 2020 experience was com- that that fall was compressed into one month, so the way that you look at it is is um, time, like how 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 much time did it take for something to happen? And if a 30 percent fall happens over two years, then that's a pretty it's not a it's not a um, it's not a horrendous bear market in terms of um, magnitude of fall, but in terms of time, it's pretty bad. Yeah, 30 percent in one month is. Is is like a shock to to most people's systems. They don't have long enough to actually react to what's going on. So, in many ways, and it's always easy. easy I think it was the fastest bear market in history. 
I'm sure. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So in many ways, it's easier to sort of rationalize that and say, well, 30 30 plus percent in one month, like how much worse can it get? And I know 1987 people bring up bring up that as a as a you know what was it 20 percent in one day um but in answer to your question yes i think you do you we will get a bottom we get we'll probably get a a a strong rally once the central banks say i'm 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 done tightening um and that'll be more that relief rally you know the 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 bears who have been betting on um stocks going down have to buy back to cover their positions they want to get out and then you'd probably get the reality coming in where, you know, actually the Fed's caused a, a recession. The Fed's caused a big slowdown here. Earnings have taken a hit. People aren't prepared to pay the multiples that they were prepared to pay in a bull market. Um, so what you talked about before is, is valuations. You know, people aren't going to send those valuations back to where they were very quickly. It takes it takes time for people to forget how stupid they were in a bull market. Um <laughs> And and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but people, everyone does. People do some dumb things because they think, well, I'm going to buy this because it's it's going up, and I'm not going to look at valuations. And that's one thing I try to have a lot of discipline over is 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 valuing a stock, um, asking myself what's the market pricing in here, is that a reasonable assumption, and and that's why in bull markets I don't do particularly well in in terms of. Um, in terms of picking the stocks that are going to go up thousand percent because they've just soared on expectation. Like I'm terrible at, at picking those stocks and I'm terrible at holding onto those stocks. So what I like to do is try to buy stocks that you can value and then take profits on them. And then when they get to a, you know, silly value, you sell out and, and put your money into somewhere else. One thing for me, because, uh, you know, I run my super fund and I was largely out of the market by the time the, the big June thing came through. But I think it's too difficult to work out what it's going to do in the short term. Um, so I think if, you, if you're going to invest in a stock, you want to have a 12-month time frame on it um, because we don't really know where the world's going to go. But you sort of, as you say, you look at probabilities, you go, I'm buying a good business with a good franchise or, or whatever it is or a good outlook. I'm going to back that team for a year and we'll see what happens kind of thing. That's my thinking, which I guess is what you're saying, is that you're looking at those um, core uh, businesses that historically have done very well, and you say, well, I don't know where the world's going, but give it a few years. This team has already delivered. There's no reason to think they won't do it again. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing to think about is that, you know, there's always something going on in the world. There's always something to uh, to freak out about, to, you know, give you an excuse not to make an investment somewhere. So my sort of base starting line is, um, is this stock stock well valued? Um, and and do I think it can grow its earnings over the next couple of years? And, and if that's the case, and if the stock isn't trending down in a, in a nasty way, um, then I'd be happy to buy it. But if, if, if you get us, like, I'll give you an example. So um, Horizon Holdings, which is uh, the rail operator and it, um, it ships a lot of the coal uh, and and commodities from from the Queensland um, coal fields to the to the ports for export. Um, it's fallen. Its share price already went through a big bear market before we had this. Um, it fell, I think, nearly fifty percent from its peaks. Then it was starting to turn back up. So the the downtrend had finished, 
And so I recommended it uh, earlier on in the year, maybe a couple of months ago. It could have been March. I'm not, not 100% sure of the date. Um, but that was based on the fact that the market already priced in a fair bit of bad news. Um, the earnings multiple was was reasonable. My valuation showed that it was that it was good value. Yes, the whole market itself looks like it's in a in a in a bit of trouble. Um, but you know, do I think this business is going to be growing earnings over the next few years? Yes, it probably will be. So, and you can get a six. I think it was a five or six percent yield while you're waiting for the market to 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 discover that um, that story. So. Um, when you look at stocks on an individual basis and you and you look at their situation, you say, well, what's been priced in? I don't look at Ukraine and Russia and say, oh, well, I better not buy a stock because of this war going on in Ukraine or Russia. I mean, there's always something to, to worry about and it really depends on what's in the headlines that the market will focus on. But at the end of the day, a lot of that stuff doesn't really matter when it comes to looking at individual stocks. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were talking that, a, there's stocks that were overpriced previously, but there's ones that were underpriced and have just been driven down further. Uh, and second of all, you do sometimes have to let the market go and just go, look, this stock is well-positioned, well-placed. It's already, you know, perhaps it's sold down or, or whatever. And then it can trade counter to the market just because the market goes down. And we're seeing a bit of that now. I noticed there was some of the tech stocks, the REITs, the ones that were hit earlier are starting to rally now because – the market's less worried about the rates and inflation than it was previously. It was less of a shock now, if you like. Um, and some of the resources are getting hit because they're starting to get the wobbles and that type of thing. So the market has its own little cycles within the market and then stocks do their own thing. So yep. if you're going to go down the stock picking route, which is what you do, and um, you, this is, it's just opportunities galore in a way. And, and again, it's kind of 2020 again where, I remember you told your guys to buy the banks or whatever, and you got some ripping returns and, and dividends. Um, uh, I think that's the um, other sectors. Uh, I can't remember all your recommendations, but yeah, when things get dumped, there's, you pick through the the disasters. Yeah, you mentioned just before about having to let the market sort of just do do its thing, and and in these eight stocks that I just wrote about for, for subscribers, there's like you know world-class companies amongst those. And as I said, you know, the, the falls have been big, you know, 50 odd percent, but, you know, I don't want to try and catch a falling knife. You know, that those, those prices are reflecting a, um, are reflecting a margin, uh, sorry, a multiple contraction that you mentioned earlier, but they're probably not yet reflecting earnings downgrades that are potentially still to come. So instead of saying, well, it's fallen 50%, it must be cheap. I'm going to buy it now. I'm just putting it on my watch list and saying, look, these are stocks I really want to own at some point. While the price is still trending lower, I'm not going to stand in front of the the, the truck or train or the falling knife, whichever analogy you want to use, <laughs> but I'm going to watch these and see whether the market is going to start to find a bit of, well, price is going to start to find support or whether this trend is going to continue for a few more months yet. It's too early to make that call, but I think certainly um, investors need to be thinking about, okay, this bull market, this bear market will end at some point, and I think it probably ends in the next, you know, three to four months. Um, and what do, I want, what do I want to buy? What opportunities do I want to get out of it? Because really when you think about it, and as hard as, hard as it is to do, you really should be looking at buying in a bear market. Um, 
not too early in a bear market, but you should be looking to buy as the worst of the bear market is over. Well, I just read a book, and the problem is nobody does it because, well, not saying nobody does it, but he says it just naturally people become fearful, and you see the time frame shrinks, and it's like, oh, it's terrible, and it's a disaster, and that. Uh, and well, human psychology case, is just not good at it. It just doesn't. Yeah. So you've got to sort of overcome your own inhibitions, if you like. Um, and it's not to say, I guess the hard part, like as always, is you might buy in a bear market and you buy the wrong stock or, or what have you. But you can yep. like lower your risk by dollar cost averaging and just have a bit of a, a nibble or you, you watch one and see. Obviously, we've had the big low in June. So now I'm watching for stocks. If we do get some more big down days, you know, do they break below that? That previous low, or is yep. you know, is, it, is there support coming in and that type of thing? And I think you can begin to get a sense of when that's happening. So, yeah, um, that's where a guy like you though can can, can come in and, and sort of bring to bear your experience and go, well, I've been through a few of these. Um, it's certainly not your first rodeo. So, um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, if history repeats as it normally does, the best time to buy is in a bear market because that's when you get the. The natural chance of the uplift and the, the market historically goes on to make new highs. So, in a sense, it's actually kind of exciting uh, in a way. Oh, absolutely. You know, I sort of get a little bit um, frustrated and annoyed in bull markets because you know something's overvalued, you know it's expensive, and you think, well, if I buy that, I might get another 10, 20% out of it. But then what if I don't? And I know that I'm just speculating now because I'm buying it at an expensive level. Whereas in these times, you can genuinely say, look, these these stocks are good value. Like if you if you believe in the in the growth story, if you like what they do, the products they sell, all those sorts of things, if you can see that management has done a good job um, in the past, then that's the time that you that you can get excited about putting something and especially what you were saying before, you know, you run a super portfolio. You're not sort of, you're not trying to trade that for immediate gains. You're sort of looking at at that type of money to say, well, look, I, I want something that's going to maybe give me a bit of a dividend and some growth over the next 10 years or 15 years or however long, um, you know, whatever your horizon is, but you can afford to be a bit more patient. You can afford to buy something and it not work out for the next four to six months, maybe you got in too early. Who cares? You know, you're looking at a, a ten year time frame, um, but you know, generally, in a bear market, there are lots of scary headlines. There are lots of stories where people have been burnt, and it just makes people. And I, I don't know what the study is, but you probably read this in that book you just mentioned that people have a fear of losing that is out of proportion to their. Yes, um, oh, it's more than one study, I think. But yeah, we yeah. we we'd rather. Um, yeah, we we don't like losing money, basically. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We value it more than uh, winning, more money. than a game, more than a potential game. I think so, it has so to be that, like two to one, doesn't it? Like, yeah, people would rather. Yeah, I, don't, I, I can't remember because I sort of did a lot of this stuff um, years ago as well. But yeah, pe- people are just fearful of um, losses and whether that's paper losses, which is where the valuation comes in. If you're comfortable with with a valuation, you've got to understand that. In bear markets, especially at lows, in the same way that bull markets at their at their highs, completely mispriced stocks. I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of markets being efficient, markets knowing a lot more than me. Um, you know, I always sort of say that. You know, I I like to say that I'm ignorant of of a lot of stuff because there is just no way that one person can know everything. Whereas the market knows a lot more. Mm. 
But it also goes without saying that at market highs and market lows, the market's completely wrong. (laughs) Um, So at those points, you get big mispricings. And it's important to remember that um, when you're sort of sitting on a stock that, you know, you might have bought thinking it's good value and it goes on to fall another 10, 20%, it's easy to think, well, I got this wrong here. I'm just going to sell out. But if you know what your valuation methodology is, and if you believe in that, which I do with mine, I've been using it for a long time, that'll give you the confidence to say, well, I actually might buy a little bit more because it's just got a bit cheaper. And I know that, you know, once the market sort of rids itself of this of this fear and things get back to a bit more of a normal situation, it's going to reprice to much higher levels. And I've seen that happen with so many stocks um, over the years. And so for, for people listening, you know, at that bear market low, the market does get a lot of individual pricings wrong. And if you're um, if you've got confidence in your in your valuation uh, methodology, then you can pick up a lot of bargains. Well, we better leave it there because we have been chatting for quite a while. So um, we'll put a link in below to the uh, Bear Market Survival Guide and I'd encourage anyone listening to check it out and certainly to start following what you're doing because you're a, a steady hand in what are very volatile uh, waters. And um, it's funny that you mentioned Telstra earlier because I remember when you did your analysis uh, way back when, whenever it was, I remember buying some from my super fund and made some money out of it. But again, it was that kind of example where the market had driven Telstra down for so long and people had got fed up with it and they were sick of it. And then everybody just ignored the fact that, well, you know, it was actually still not printing money, but making good money. Still making a bunch of money. Yeah. And then 5G was coming in and, you know, they were rationalizing the business. So it was a perfect example that it went way down and then it started trending up again. and, And thus far, it's still in that trend. So they're the kind of opportunities that you're. You're great at finding. So um, you might get a third time on the podcast oh. <laughs> in I'm six months too excited. If, if we come back and we find that Greg was right. <laughs> Let's see. I may never appear again. <laughs> <laughs> or you may be dumped into the uh, into the bin. No, exactly. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm sure I, I'm, I'm quite confident in everything that you're saying is true. And I'm, Again, thinking along those you lines. You probably got more confidence than me. I, I, tend, to, <laughs> I tend to make claims oh, my and make calls and say, could be wrong. <laughs> Who knows? And look, you know, just one last point. That's, I think, uh, a good point to end on is that in all, whether it's life or whatever, you have to have humility. You have to be prepared to say you're wrong. And if you get it wrong, change what you got wrong and, and have a think about it. And that's the only way you can learn and, and move forward. So um, I may not be right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the compliance officer will be very happy to hear that uh, disclaimer there. But uh, no, it's all based on very sound analysis. So thanks for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me, mate. <laughs>